So we know that Jesus was both human and divine, but why are those facts necessary? Why is it necessary that Jesus had to be both human and deity? Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Ammons. Welcome to Truth 101, a systematic theology podcast where we look at the doctrines of the Christian faith in a systematic way. And we're looking in this 200 series at the person of Jesus. We saw in the first three podcasts the humanity of Christ, and then we saw in the last three podcasts the deity of Christ. And I want to close this 200 series before we get to the 300 series with the next podcast and looking at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I want us to talk about why it was necessary for Jesus to be both human and divine. Could he be the Savior and, and just be human? Could he, could he atone for our sins and be only divine? Why was it necessary to combine both and to combine both 100%? Couldn't he be 50-50? Why not? So in this podcast, I want to talk about that and, and wrap up the what's called the hypostatic union, the union of humanity and deity in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the New Testament, in, in hundreds of explicit verses, as we talked about, called Jesus God, they call it called Jesus Lord, use a number of other titles of deity to refer to him. And in many passages, they attribute actions or words to Christ that could only be true of God. Affirms again and again the full, absolute deity of Jesus. Paul wrote, Colossians 1.19, In Him, talking about Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then in Colossians 2.9, it says, In Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So, we've seen earlier that Jesus is truly and fully man, but now he is also truly and fully God as well. So, his name is rightly called Emmanuel from Matthew 1.23, which means God with us. Now, at this point, I, I want to interject one other teaching uh, that you may have heard of, and I want to address it in this podcast because um, it's, it was popular back in the 1970s. Even after that, some of his influence uh, by the man, a man by the name of John Hick, one of the church leaders in England, uh, taught some false doctrine and false teaching about Jesus and the doctrine of incarnation. So let's, let's talk about that just for a moment. Throughout history, there have been objections to the New Testament teaching on the full deity of Christ. And one attack on this doctrine I believe deserves mention because it created a large controversy a number of years ago. And, and that is one of the recognized leaders in church leaders in England by the name of John Hick wrote a book entitled The Myth of God Incarnate, published in London in 1977. The Myth of God Incarnate. Actually, John Hick was the editor. But the title gives away the thesis of the book. And that is the idea that Jesus was God incarnate 
or coming in the flesh is only a myth. A helpful story, perhaps, John Hicks says, for the faith of earlier generations, but not one that we can really believe today. Not one that can be relied on today. So, John Hick and others said that the, the incarnation of Jesus, of God becoming Jesus, is simply a myth. Now, the argument of this book begins with some foundational assumptions. First of all, it assumes that the Bible does not have absolute divine authority for us today. That's mentioned in the preface. It also assumes Christianity, like all human life and thought, is evolving and changes over time. There are some who believe that Christianity evolves. Now, the Bible never teaches that, but John Hicks' book, The Myth of God Incarnate, believes that. So, the basic claims of the book are laid out in the first two chapters. And in chapter one, Maurice Wiles argues that it is possible to have Christianity without the doctrine of the Incarnation. The church has given up earlier doctrines, such as the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. Uh, some have given up the virgin birth or the inerrancy of Christ, Wiles says. So therefore, it is possible to give up the traditional doctrine of the Incarnation and still keep the Christian faith. So Wiles argues that in chapter 1 of the book. Moreover, the doctrine of the Incarnation is not directly presented in Scripture. He says it is, but he says it's not. But it originated in a setting where belief in the supernatural was credible. There, nevertheless, it has never been a coherent or intelligible doctrine throughout the history of the church. That's what the book says. That is inaccurate, but that is what the book, The Myth of God Incarnate, states. Now, in chapter 2 of the book regarding the New Testament teaching, Francis Young argues that the New Testament contains the writings of many different witnesses who tell of their own understanding of Christ, but that no one single unified view of Jesus can be gained from the entire New Testament. That's what the book states. The early church's understanding of the person of Christ was, maybe say it was developmental. Uh, it took various directions over time. So Francis Young concludes that the situation is similar to today within the Christian church. Many diverse personal responses to the story of Jesus are acceptable for us as well, and that would certainly include the response that sees Christ as a man in whom God was uniquely at work, but not by any means a man who was fully God. Now that's, the, that's in, in a nutshell, John Hicks' controversial but popular book Call the myth of God incarnate. Now, from the standpoint of evangelical theology, it's significant, I think, for us to note that this rejection, outright rejection of Jesus' deity could only be advocated upon a prior assumption that the New Testament is not to be accepted as a divine authority for us, not to be truthful at every point. Hick has to say that in order to make the incarnation a myth. So the question of authority is the great dividing line in conclusions about the person of Christ. So not only that, much of the criticism of the doctrine of the incarnation 
focuses on the claim that it was not coherent or it was not intelligible. Well, of course it wasn't. It was God becoming man. Of course it wasn't. But at the root, this is simply an indication that the authors of this book are unwilling to accept anything that does not appear to fit into a, quote, scientific worldview, end quote, in which the natural universe is a closed system that's not open to any kind of divine intrusion or miracles such as the incarnation. And folks, we see through scripture that God is the God of the miraculous. So, according to Hick, the assertion that Jesus was fully God and fully man in one person, though not a contradiction, they say is a paradox that we cannot fully understand in this age, and perhaps we will never understand it throughout eternity because it is incoherent or unintelligible. The doctrine of the Incarnation, as understood by the church throughout history, has indeed been coherent and intelligible, though no one maintains that it provides us with an exhaustive explanation of how it happened. It does state the Incarnation is factual, coherent, and intelligible. So our proper response, I believe, is not to reject the clear central teaching of the Bible about the Incarnation, but to recognize it's a paradox. We don't know how it happens. We don't know how the hypostatic union came to be because the Bible does not tell us how, but it does tell us it did. Therefore, I reject John Hick and his book, The Myth of God Incarnate, and we are to submit ourselves to God and to his words in scripture and believe the power of the incarnation. Now, question. Why was Jesus' deity necessary? Why was it necessary for Jesus to be fully God and fully man? Well, there are several reasons why Jesus, in order to be fully man, had to be who he was in order to earn our redemption. But I believe it's also appropriate for us to recognize that it's crucially important to insist on the full deity of Christ, but also the full humanity of Christ. Both are clearly taught, as we've seen through six podcasts, both are clearly taught in Scripture. Only someone who is the infinite God could bear the full penalty for all the sins of all the world who believe in Him. Only someone who is God could do that, and that was Christ. Any finite creature would have been incapable of bearing the penalty that, that, that Christ bore for us. Not only that, Jonah 2.9 says, salvation is from the Lord. And the whole message of Scripture is designed to show that no human being, no creature could ever save man. Only God himself could save mankind. 
And also not only that, only someone who is truly God and fully God could be the mediator between God and man that Paul told Timothy about in 1 Timothy 2, 5. Both to bring us back to God and to reveal God more fully to us, as John 14, 9 says. Now, if Jesus is not fully God, folks, we have no salvation. And we ultimately have no Christian faith. Let me say that again. If Jesus is not fully God, we have no salvation, and ultimately there is no Christian faith. It's no accident that throughout his history, those groups that have given up belief in the full deity of Jesus, they've not lasted long. They, they have not remained long within the Christian faith. They've soon drifted away toward the kind of religion that's represented now by, by Unitarianism in the U.S. and other places. It's not an accident. Those groups that have given up the deity of Christ have faded into obscurity on the Christian landscape because there is something God blesses about accepting the full deity of Jesus. 1 John 2.23 No one who denies the Son has the Father. 2 John 9 Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So it was absolutely necessary for Jesus to be 100% human and 100% God. Otherwise, we have no Redeemer, we have no Mediator, we have no Christian faith. Now let me summarize uh, this 200 series on the person of Jesus. Sometimes in the study of systematic theology, the following sentence has been used to summarize the Incarnation. And here's the sentence. Remaining what he was, he became what he was not. Let me say that again. Speaking of Jesus, remaining what he was, he became what he was not. In other words, while Jesus continued remaining what he was, that is fully divine, he also became what he previously had not been, that is, fully human. Jesus did not give up any of his deity when he became man, but he did take on humanity in his fullness and in its fullness that he was not before. So remember that statement, the person of Christ, remaining what he was, Divine, he became what he was not, which was human. And of course, the great kenosis passage in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, points this out beautifully, that Jesus became what he was not. Now, one final thought. 
Once we've decided that Jesus was fully man and fully God and that his human nature remained fully human and his divine nature remained fully divine, we can still ask whether there were some qualities or abilities that were given or communicated from one nature to the other. And it seems like there were. Not, we don't know for certain, but in viewing the pericope, it seems like there were. Let me mention a couple. It seems like from the divine nature to the human nature. Although Jesus' human nature did not change its essential character because it was united with the divine nature and the one person of Christ, Jesus' human nature gained worthiness to be worshipped and gained an ability to, or rather the inability to sin, both of which did not belong to human beings otherwise. So it seems like there were some communicable attributes from the divine to the human, namely worthiness to be worshipped, which humans did not have before Christ, and the inability to sin, which humans did not have before Christ. But it also seems there were some attributes communicated from the human nature to the divine as well. Jesus' human nature gave him, first of all, an ability to experience suffering and death. God had not known that. Jesus' human nature gave him the ability to understand by experience what we experience. He was at all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And it appears that Jesus' human nature gave him an ability to be our substitute sacrifice, which Jesus as God alone could not have done. So his human nature provided that for him. So we've come to the end of the conclusion of Jesus' humanity and Jesus' deity. And it may be easy to lose sight what's actually taught in Scripture but it's by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible. Far more amazing than, than the creation of the universe or any other fact. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God could become one person with finite Man, that will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. Praise God, Jesus fully combined humanity and deity to be our Redeemer. Well, I hope that thought buoys your spirit today and the rest of this week as we have wrapped up the person of Jesus. And we'll go to the 300 series in our next podcast. We've looked at the doctrine of God in the 100 series, the doctrine of Jesus in the 200. We'll now begin looking at the third person of the Trinity in the 300 series, and that is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you then. Hope you have a great week. God bless you.